the nerves. This is for the brainiacs. This is what we deserve. Go ahead and play it back. You ain't gonna touch me. You're not gonna do nothing. You are not above me. I bet you wish you was me. I know it. I know. What is poppin', everybody? And welcome back to another episode of the Only Friends Podcast. And I'm with my only friends. It's a little mix up today. I can't give him the usual Yinzer intro, but you know, we got Landon Tyson, Matt Berkey in the building. His dad owned a Steeler bar. My dad owned a Steeler bar, and one time I went to a chess competition and missed my flight to Pittsburgh. So you could say I'm Pittsburgh adjacent. All right, so you're a Yinzer. So the Yinzer section is fill, filled today. Yinzer exactly. adjacent. Yinzer yeah. adjacent section. Yinzer and friends. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah. I think that's a t shirt. That's Yin- definitely a t shirt. Yinzers and friends. What is pop and guapa? Well, I'm broke. <laughs> um, pay guapo. I lost, I lost 100 bucks yesterday somehow playing pickleball against you, and my legs are killing me. Well, that's like a full week's wage for you. Yeah, it's true. I mean... Minus the tortillas. I, I would say sorry, but you asked for it. Yeah, it's true. Like, you know, I told you no. I was like, no, man, I don't want to play you for money. Like, there's just no point. Let's just have fun, you know? To, to describe how bad this ass whooping was, <laughs> we were playing to seven and seven to seven. Right, right. And Cowards. I get four bucks for every point that I beat Conrad by. And I have to give him two bucks. And somehow I lost a hundred dollars within like an hour and a half. Also, you if you won one game, it wipes out everything. Correct. Oh, my it, God. Yeah, it didn't go too well. So you got swept and scored maybe a grand total of five points? I think I scored like maybe 10 points. Yeah, once we started betting, he scored like 10 points over 10 games. <laughs> Something like that. Well, he's trying. He's what is popping, Andre? I see you over there with Big Dick Benji. Big Dick Benji. He's in the building. What's going on over there? Ah, nothing much. I'm actually going to pick a ball after this with Coppo. Are you? Yeah. You guys going to try to get better? I'm going to try to win $100. <laughs> You gotta try to find a new way to make money around here. It sounds like I should come. That's what it sounds. You're more than welcome to, man. All right. Uh, It'll be the first time I ever play. This is is great. I Uh, love playing people the first time. I got invited by Berkey. Uh, I said yes. Okay. Went over to the courts. Stayed there for an hour. Uh huh. Asked him, "Hey, where are you?" And he said, "Oh, I haven't left yet." (laughs) You're a terrible friend. So I went home. This isn't normal. I don't. I don't think that's how. It actually happened. You don't recall? It happened like that. I don't, I don't recall, don't but recall. I'm pretty confident that's not. Like, it wasn't like we had a set time, and I just was an hour late. It was probably like you guys set the time at noon. He was like, yo, 5 o'clock, I'll be at the pickleball court. And, like, Andre was there at 5 o'clock, and it, you just It was completely... at 9 p.m. All right. I don't, I don't see a world where this happened. I do recall inviting you, and I also recall me going and you not being there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you both went and to I, the pickleball court and you both didn't see each other. No. no but I, I didn't see him for a lot longer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you guys are playing hide and seek at the pickleball court. Yeah. There's Maybe. some shit going on here. All right. Well, big thanks to our sponsors over at WPT Global, the online home of the World Poker Tour. With satellites running every day, WPT Global is sending over 150 players to the WPT Championship at the win this December. Go on over to WPTGlobal.com to download now. So, there's football on tonight. I'm rather excited for this. 
We get the four and three Falcons playing the, oh, sorry, the first place four and three Falcons. How is that even possible? <laughs> I mean, four and five, sorry. What? Four and three. Four and five playing the last place two and seven Panthers. I think like these games should be. I like be the like, Panthers. You know what? <laughs> <They're> <laughs> I don't know anything. You just like them. I like I like the Panthers. I like the colors. I heard Baker Mayfield playing linebacker this week. <laughs> I like the Panthers just because it reminds me of like the Jake Delholm, uh, Steve Smith days. Mm. Wow. I was a big Kerry Collins fan. Steve Smith was St- Steve Smith was the fucking man. Yeah. Like, Still is. I heard he knocked his kid right out. Wait, what? <laughs> no, I, I can't back that up. Uh, his kid's balling somewhere though. I, I don't know if it's. I don't know if he's in college or if he's a rookie in the NFL now, but mm. um, one or the other, he's like crushing it. Steve Smith Jr. Uh, was it the Kenyon Johnson? Keyshawn? Keyshawn Johnson. That's who it was. It's the Throw me the damn ball. Yeah. So when I, used to, when I was younger, I was playing. He also was on the Panthers when I would play like Madden 13. He's a Buccaneer too. Or some shit. Mm-hmm. Just always was the Panthers. Don't know why. Uh, like the Jonathan Stewart, Steve Smith type of... Uh, Type of times, man. Jonathan Stewart. I don't think Keyshawn was ever on the Panthers. I didn't think he was either. He was on the Buccaneers, though, for sure. For like a year yeah, or he just followed Tony Dungy. Oh no, Dungy wasn't with the Jets. No, I don't think he was. Who was the, was Parcells the coach? Yeah, it was him and Parcells that butted head. He wrote the book, threw him in the damn ball. Then he ended up in the Buccaneers yeah. with Dungy. Yep, yep, that makes uh, sense. Might have retired a Panther, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, he uh, played for the Panthers. When? How long? Uh, he joined the Panthers in 2006. And played for? I don't know. We just played for them in 2006. Okay. Well, I got. All right. <laughs> so well, I, I, can only look for, I can only research for so long before uh, <laughs> we have to move on. So. He was there for one year. It was Steve. turbo time, yeah. All right. Well, um, Who the fuck's the quarterback for Atlanta? Marcus Mariota. That's right. That's How right. are they four and five and they're leading the division? Well, the South is... Very bad. Who both, else? Both in, in the division? AFC and NFC. Who else? Uh, the Titans, I guess, are good. But. Who else the is in that division? Saints. The Saints, the Falcons, the Panthers, Colts? the Buccaneers. Yes. No, the Buccaneers are with the Jaguars in the South. I'm sorry. What? No, he you said meant, the Colts. You meant the Colts. Guessing. Oh, I saw. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then the other side is the Colts, the Jags, the uh, Texans, and then the first place Titans. Wow. Because they get first place by default. So it's just uh, <laughs> it's just a bunch of down bad teams. Real bad. It is real down real bad. bad. Right. Like Atlanta winning this division, like they're not playing bad, honestly. But they're not a good team by any stretch. Like them winning the division and being four and five and leading is absolutely absurd. I think we're gonna see like two maybe that's a bold statement. I think we're gonna see at least one uh seven and nine team make the playoffs or not seven to nine it's there's, different it's, there's an extra game this year right yeah so eight and nine would be the losing record yeah i could see a seven and ten team making it like winning the south well yeah they have, yeah just win the south yeah do you think that this uh system that they have going on with uh afc nfc uh northwest south stuff is ever going to change at some point or no why would they change it i don't know this falcons team sounds down horrendous and they're gonna have a spot in the playoffs probably I mean, yeah, that's actually a pretty good argument. Um, <laughs> I think so, they just want all of the country included when they move towards the later. 
Yeah. It, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, regionally, everybody's covered in some capacity whenever playoffs begin. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. But from the statistical numbers standpoint, it's like... Pretty brutal. Yeah. Pretty, I mean, we saw the opposite happen with baseball. It used to just be two divisions and two leagues, mm-hmm. so four total divisions, and you would only have two playoff teams from each division. So it was just... For the longest time, it was only the NLCS and the ALCS. That mm-hmm. was it. The two teams would make the fucking playoffs. Which is fucking what? four teams. Well, four teams total. Yeah. Two teams from each. So each they, they would just go from semifinals to World Series? Yeah. yeah. Which is wild because there's there, fucking 30 teams. There were, year, there were years where like 100 win teams didn't make the playoffs. <laughs> like, uh, I'm trying to think. the Man, how did that work? Oh, the Braves were in the West. Whenever the Pirates were playing them in the NLCS in the 90s. They weren't always with the Mets and... No. Well, there was only two. Oh, yeah. It was only East and West. Okay, 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 okay. And somehow the Atlanta Braves were in the West. So the, they would win the West, and then the Pirates would win the East. Mm. But if they were in the same division, they wouldn't have both... Uh, obviously, I mean, that goes without saying they wouldn't yeah. have been able to both make it, but... Uh, when did they change that? Wild card, uh, when Florida, when the Marlins became a part of baseball. So the expansion year in 1994, mm-hmm. I believe, they added, uh, once they became a part of the expansion, everything got reworked. So the Brewers came to the uh, National League um, eventually later on down the line. The Astros went to the American League. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they created three divisions then when the Marlins came. And now they had to take four playoff teams because of that. So, so the wild card was instituted in 1994, I believe. So now there's wild card semis World Series. Now it's even more expanded. Now they take seven teams yeah. from each. Okay. So now they're. So they're, they're, you can see my point, my point in bringing this up is that they're building towards greater parity and greater expansion to where playoffs becomes a lot more uh, or a lot less of uh, the best. It's less of a prestigious activity. So. Right? Well, well like the more... season mattered so much back, back then. then. Yeah. But you also just ran into this issue where it's like when you're leaving 100 win teams out of the playoffs, you're, a problem. you're, yeah, you're still allowing variance to dictate who the winners are, right? right. It's yeah. just happening on the margins with the best of the best, as opposed to now where like seven playoff teams make it. And now you might have like an 85 win Phillies team. Uh, I think I'm exaggerating. I don't think they were that bad, but. Uh, my point is, is like uh, of the teams that made the NL playoffs, like, ilk, so the the Phillies were like uh, on the lower tier. There yeah. were two hundred win teams above them, uh, as well as like you know a few others. And basically, you give that parity a chance to shine, right? Right. Similar to like when the Steelers, we were talking yesterday, the Steelers won the Super Bowl in I think it was two thousand six, where they went straight through the wild card hmm. uh, from the sixty, or maybe it was the Arizona year. Yeah, it was the Arizona year. Uh, so they came from like the five or the six seed, went all the way through and won the Super Bowl. So like in theory, they wouldn't actually be in the playoffs yeah. prior to the wild card. Right. But, it, but I think that system works in football because uh, you're not always going to be, your record's not always going to be reflective of your talent, mm. right? So that Steeler team was very fucking good. Is it because of scheduling? Yeah, like scheduling. I mean, there's a lot of variance in scheduling. Injuries. There's a lot of variance in injuries. Uh, you know, you could just underperform one game or two. Mm-hmm. And that could be the difference between being a two seed or being on the fringe of being out. Yeah. This this helicopter, mom. I wish you guys could see what we see right now. Andre, <laughs> Andre has this tiny little dog that couldn't ever do any harm to anything or himself. 
and he's running around the room like a giant. You're the only time he actually gets to feel like a you're, giant. You're, you're honestly so dumb. Okay, so <laughs> I went over this. Are you dumb? You dropped some seeds over there. I told you that he's allergic to literally everything. everything. I, I didn't do anything. Okay, well, you were like, oh, you know, they're just some sunflower seeds. I don't worry about it. I didn't say anything. I'm just That's saying. That's exactly what you said. You said, don't worry about it. He's a dog. Yes. I said he has a very sensitive stomach. I didn't come in yesterday. I was supposed to come in yesterday. Why didn't I come in? Because I was up all fucking night cleaning up his throw up and making sure he was okay. Oh, Ben. Fuck you. Ben. Ben, you have Jesus a, Christ. So I'm just a, trying to make sure. Stomach. He's, he's a good this boy. This baby doesn't feel terrible because he literally couldn't eat yesterday. Oh, my God. Love eating. So I have a question for you guys. Do we ever think that we're going to see the regular relegation system ever come over to the United States for the sports? what relegation system oh like what they do in football um, across the seas what is it like division one division two type mm -hmm. stuff where you can play yourself in yeah so basically yeah no because it's too big a business as is go on no no I think I see what you're saying already um so basically you just you'd have to keep up a certain record to stay in your division yeah and if you like your last place team or bottom two or something like that you move down to like division two or something yeah. like that yeah bottom two and top two of the adjacent divisions flip yeah yeah, yeah. the the thing is is uh the reason this works so well with soccer is uh one there isn't a lot of parity so the dominant teams stay dominant like man u is never going right. to d2 yeah. ever like everybody knows who the the nasty teams are in right. soccer even if you right. don't play um and uh, i guess an argument against why it doesn't work as a system is because when you do have dominant teams like man u they then take the lion's share of all of the uh of like the entire market right so like i know who man u is and i know uh, a couple of other like liverpool and a few others right mm. but that's it yeah. and i only know them because they clearly have an economic advantage over almost every other team so it becomes sort of like uh, an olympic type structure mm -hmm. where you know who the dominant countries are always going to be like for who them wins medals but that's yeah. kind of like baseball right no no because there's still enough parity like yes but they they tried to they tried to uh level the playing field a little bit with the luxury tax yeah uh and things of that nature but yeah you're right it's baseball's still uncapped uh the fact that the salary cap hasn't been instituted seems insane to me and it's strange to me that owners don't want it to be instituted of course it'd be less money they spend Right, like that's what I don't understand. Like it would bring the the average cost of contract down so much. Yeah, it's kind of absurd. I it's don't... very weird. It's a catch twenty two though because I think what's happening is the people who are paying the most are also earning the most, so they get greater benefit than cost. Right, sense. they're just doing simple cost benefit analysis, and it's like, well, we're happy to pay a four hundred million dollar contract because we're going to make a quarter bill, or sorry, we're going to make uh, uh, over a billion in television rights. Yeah, for sure. Um, why does I love that system, though, the D1, D2. Yeah. Like, imagine if the NFL just split where it's 16 D1 teams and I, 16 D2 teams. Yes, I think it works better best in baseball. Like, to start, I think. Or actually, just in general, I think it works best in baseball. Well, it doesn't work well with either because the, the leagues are generating revenue through television yeah. and through outside marketing. The smaller markets get paid, like, Correct. through... Correct. So, so yes, exactly. And wouldn't ever boast anybody. Right. So up. when the Pirates are just a Division Two team forever, <laughs> they don't they don't have an easier path to D one, 
right? It only becomes harder. And now yeah. all of a sudden they don't have the most beautiful stadium in all of baseball because why the fuck would the city ever spend on a D2 team? Unbiased opinion. Lombardi's <laughs> just but, trying to keep the Pirates no, out that's of the objective. <laughs> that's objective. PNC Park is the nicest stadium in all of baseball. Uh, there, there's a small debate for whatever the fuck uh, the Giants stadium is called now. It used to be AT&T or Pac Bell or I don't even know what yeah, the fuck yeah. it is now. Anyway, there's a small debate between the two of them. They were built around the same time frame, and uh, the Giant Stadium kind of, in my opinion at least, copied a lot of the best features of PNC. <laughs> but nothing beats that backdrop of the Clemente Bridge. I mean, they're both right on the river, right? Field. They're both on the water, right? <laughs> they're both on the oh, water, not, not on the river. river. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh is on the Allegheny River. Yeah. Uh, Pac Bell or whatever, AT&T is it's on the Pacific is, Ocean. On the Pacific Ocean. <laughs> I understand. Listen, yeah. man, I love the pride you have for your city. I'm taking you to a game. I will change your opinion in an instant. I don't have an opinion. Right. But my point is you will by the time you leave. The only way you can have an opinion is if you go to all of the stadiums. No. No, no, no. That's not true. I was you, supposed to you go can to just a game. Look at all the stadiums. And you can be to it. And the thing is, like, all the stadiums have their own uh, certain romance to them, right? Like, Fenway is remarkable. Fenway, uh, Fenway and Wrigley are the two oldest parks in all of baseball, Dodger Stadium as well. Uh, for what it's worth, though, Dodger Stadium stinks. Okay. I've never been there. Stinks. Another objective. I've actually only been to Yankee Stadium. and New well, or old? Um, both. Okay, I've been to new. It's, it's a spectacle. Yeah. It, it kind of reminds me of Jerry World a little in uh, Dallas. Okay. No, like, it's no. an overblown stadium uh-huh. where they blew it out on all of the amenities, but the actual stadium itself isn't that breathtaking. Yeah. I mean, the thing with baseball is that, like, it's a summer sport that's slow and methodical and, you know, you're sitting and you're, it's, it's all about the ambiance, right? So, like, Yankee Stadium is very much built like uh, an enclosed football stadium almost. Yeah. Right? Where you're just trying to pack fans in and it's, Mm -hmm. it's, uh, that's loud. That's great. Don't get me wrong. But, like, when you go to, when you go to, uh, like, Fenway has... The staple with the green monster and the Sitco sign. Yeah, the place is a piece of shit. I've seen it on TV plenty of times. It's incredible. P- incredible piece of shit. Sure. It's <laughs> it's it's the it's easily the most historic ballpark around. Wrigley also is very uh very breathtaking with Wrigleyville out in, in right field and the Ivy Wall and everything. The Ivy Wall always caught my eye. Always yeah. loved it. Like- the thing I don't like about Wrigley and LA uh Dodger Stadium both is that they're the I, I like the idea of a historic stadium, and I'm sorry I didn't get to go to old Yankee Stadium. I would have loved to, to have seen it. Um, but they build out instead of up, and it's a very weird... I mean, they both build out and up, but my point is that like um, when, when you're like sitting back off the field, it's a very weird... like. So you're saying it's a weird the older, peripheral. The older stadiums did this. Yeah, the historic stadiums. Yeah, yeah. like if you do look now, like even like most new stadiums that are being built, like um, uh, T-Mobile Arena, mm-hmm. they just built straight up kind yeah. of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's also another thing to qualify the difference of is like a lot of the new places are parks. So like PNC is a park as opposed to like Yankee Stadium is a stadium. What is the, well, difference, the difference between stadium So parks park? are like open. Uh, so there's no enclosure in the outfield at PNC and that's why you get that beautiful backdrop of the city Uh, and it's like so spectacular it looks like something out of a video game Um, whereas like Yankee Stadium is very enclosed yeah you know it's it's much more uh, like the old uh, multi-purpose stadiums of of days past 
I get what you're saying. I would like to go to San Fran. I would love to see the stadium. Me but, too. I've, I've never seen it in person. Everybody says it's one-to-one with PNC as far as like being the best. Yeah. I'd love to figure that out. Well, talking about California. Mm, Cali. Yeah, Cali. They're, they're saying no, no, no to the sports betting. It seemed that the election wasn't the only thing that the people of California were um, voting on. It seems that sports, sports wagering, dice games, and roulette on tribal lands and sports, mobile sports wait, wagering off tribal lands were all shut down by the people of California. It's not even close. Can yeah, you, Andre, can you give me some insight to this? Like, why are they so opposed? I have no clue. It's so wild. I wish to me. I did, but it's it's a really bad sign, obviously, for getting poker legalized. Well, is it though? I feel like they're very very highly correlated. Well, if they're kind of like pushing away the gambling out of it, like. Okay, so it's more strategic. So here's here's the two things that I know about California. One is that um, everything that they were voting on there is uh, uh, basically adjacent to what already currently exists. So Pygal, poker, uh, and maybe three card. I'm not sure, um, but there are like some permissible games in what they consider to be quote unquote card houses, <laughs> right? So there are no casinos that I know of. I could be wrong though. I feel like. Uh, I went to a place in Temecula, California, that I thought was like a full-blown casino. Um, probably not. I mean, full-blown, just not having dice or craps. No, but that's roulette. the thing is, I I feel like they did have table games. They they might just not uh, craps and roulette. It's only those two. It's like you can have baccarat and stuff like that. Well, I know that there's baccarat. I I know for sure there's baccarat, and like based off of just the commerce, the yeah, bike. Yeah, yeah, of course. All these other places, there's for sure. But I feel like, like I saw slots and slots are always that. That's that's allowed. No, no. Remember, that's what uh, Gal got pinned for. Hmm. Hold on, because I know in San Diego there's slots 100. percent Yeah, that's the thing. I guess I'm a little confused by. Yeah. Uh, because anyway, we're getting sidetracked. Yeah, for uh, sure. But but I did think that there was like. Uh, a difference between card houses and casinos in California. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm trying to think of like, but like, yeah, like Bay 101, Matrix, all the places in Northern Cali, I don't think that they have any floor, floor games. I, okay. think, I think they're close to being card rooms. Anyway, the whole point that I'm trying to make is what I know about that stuff is that there's a clear, clear line of demarcation between like what they'll allow as far as gambling goes and what they don't. And it seems like they were voting on what they currently don't allow. Uh, and they were also like, um, you know, fitting sports betting into that i guess but to my knowledge the hang-up with online poker in california is not about legalization um from the way that i understand it and this could be something it's obviously all around lobbyists but i don't know like where where it starts and ends as far as being a tribal debate versus like a statewide debate versus uh other but from what I understand, where the big hangup is, is that they do not want to um, share liquidity with anybody. They don't want the money leaving state, right? They're bankrupt. So they want all the taxes to stay within state. And the issue is that in order to be legal, they need a gaming commission. And currently their gaming commission won't or doesn't have the capacity to oversee online gaming. So they're in this catch-22 where it's like, they could share liquidity with Nevada and now have a gaming, uh, a gaming board to oversee online, but then they would have to share liquidity 
and in turn, you know, lose some revenue. And they just refuse to do it, so they're the total stalemate. Um, so I don't know how much this vote hurts that long run, because it doesn't seem like there's an easy solution for that. But maybe it does hurt it, because if this would have passed, their gaming commission would maybe have, like, greater licensing capability. I'm not sure. Uh, it's strange to me, though, to see a blue state so anti, so opposed to gambling as a whole. And they allow DraftKings as well. To my knowledge, yeah. So, like, I feel like that's more, like, strategic game, like, uh, poker, so... I, Maybe they lump them, right? Because currently poker's allowed. Yeah, yeah. Um, So maybe it's just, like, um, the liquidity thing is the only thing holding that up. And it just... Well, it's a gaming thing. It's, it's still a game. Uh, the shared liquidity aspect of it is what's preventing them from working with anybody else mm -hmm. to get proper gaming license. Gotcha. All right. At least that was, like, you know... As I last heard a couple of years ago. Do you know ago. why they wouldn't open up their own? They can't. They don't have a gaming. They don't have the, the gaming to oversee it. Gotcha. Because they don't have a gaming commission. Correct. Well, they do. They have a Gal California gaming commission, but it like is very bare bones. Gotcha. And we found, came to find that out whenever it came to the Apostle situation. Mm -hmm. Like they just refused to, uh, they, they refused to do anything with regard to patron patrons interacting with one another in a casino environment they'll only oversee house stuff okay. so if the house is cheating they'll persecute it if somebody's cheating the house they'll persecute it but otherwise they don't care they don't want anything to do with it gotcha so it seems somebody said in the chat that um tribal lands are allowed to have slots where card houses are not i see okay that would make a lot of sense right because slots wasn't a part of that vote correct yes. Yes, yes. Right, yes. so that would make sense. That was probably already voted on at some point. All right, cool, cool. So now it is time for everybody's favorite segment at the Only Friends podcast. Mm. It is fucking time for Smash or Pass NFL style. Man, I feel like we need music. Dun, dun, dun. Hold on, hold on. Do, 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 do. Is that the do, violin? Do, do, wow. do, no, that's the fiddle. Do, 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 that's the fiddle. Uh, I would have went with the Monday Night Football. You can play that on a fiddle. That is, that is true. I'll, I'll get that for next time. Grapple, roll that shit. Who we got today? Courtesy of NFL memes, we found um, every quarterback in the NFL, or a few of the quarterbacks in the NFL, um, I hard harmonized. Dis I, hard di <laughs> I hard disagree with some of these. And what's, what's, help us out here. We gotta, uh, I think... I think Tonya Brady is attractive, but in a very like milfy housewife kind of way. Uh, I mean, well, they said sober. Yeah, I think that's exaggerated. Like, uh, I think uh, what's her face from the Jets is Zara Wilson. Yeah, like she she's cute. They have kind of cute one beer. Yeah, like that seems exaggerated. Like I'd hold her hand in public. You say sober. <laughs> I'm just saying, I would hold her hand in public. I'm not so sure that I'd be comfortable holding Tanya Brady's hand in public. I see. You know, I'd feel a little, a little weirded out. I mean, all I know is Aaron Rod, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron. There's a problem with Aaron Rodgers. Aaron. There's a true problem. Yeah. <laughs> and should have retired. There is no problem with Jenny Garoppolo though. Look, absolutely Je not. Jenny got some fine features. She's she's a good time on the weekend for sure. Like she's gonna take you to the club. 
She's going to show you around. Sounds like a terrible time. It's going to be like 4 a.m. before you get back. She might be down for the hot tub. I'm not sure. Terrible time. This is not Ben CB approved. No, this is definitely not Ben CB approved, <laughs> for sure. Ben CB would be uh, she, she, Garoppolo would ruin your, your, your 20s, for uh, sure. Okay, yeah. I mean, Garoppolo is clearly toxic as fuck. That makes sense. Yes, yeah, that is Like, abundantly sure. clear. Toxic Honestly, queen? every... Burrows, on the other hand. All of them, actually. No. Those other seven, they'll just, like help you get your career to the top look burrows is is the girl that you meet your freshman year of college and you recognize the dime that you found and you just wife her immediately like you're junior in college marrying marrying joe burrow like listen uh, our future together we, we need to we need to lock this down agreed joe burrow is fine yeah i wasn't a fan of joe burrow my girlfriend was yeah, look at those eyes. I wasn't a fan. I said only Jenny Garoppolo. Andre, what do you think over there? Man, who, you're for the streets. Who you got? I would take all of them except two. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, we know Kylie. I know which definitely two. you're taking. Yeah. Same height. You guys already talked about one, and the other one's from Pittsburgh. What? Pittsburgh. Nobody there's from Pittsburgh. Who's in Whatever. Pittsburgh? From, from Pennsylvania. The fuck are you talking about? <laughs> Who's from Pennsylvania? Yeah, I think you're thinking of the wrong graphic. We're not. Oh, uh, the yet. next graphic. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck are you talking about? Let's Mahomes go. and Rogers were the only two to yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Isn't Mahomes That's Kansas uh, City? Oh, whatever. Yeah, let's go. Yeah, same thing. Whatever. Let's try the next. They're close. One right. really good team. Moving on to the next one. Rachel Wilson. Okay, this is the first time I've seen Gina Smith. She's, she's looking all right. Graphic. Yeah, Gina Smith's fucking is great. That's the Sierra wearing Russell Wilson's old uniform. <laughs> <laughs> that is so amazing. Hey, go back, go back, go back. I'm, I'm, I'm... Rachel Wilson, one beer, one beer, we ride. Let's ride. Yeah, honestly, the fucking captions on these are so much better. They're so good. So good. Uh, the Kirk Cousins one's great. Bro, that, hell no, that's just Kurt with a wig on. <laughs> Justine Fields, got to check ID first, but one shot. This is man, that's so jo mean with Justina Herbert. I mean, so what did it say? Back to the graphic, <laughs> yeah. It says, okay. like, uh, feels like, yeah, uh, feel four like beers. she could also beat me up. Feel like she could also beat me up. She yeah. looks like a softball player, she looks like an athlete. I, I would, I would definitely, she's cute. yeah, <laughs> she's I think cute. she's cute. We play a little like one on one hoops. She looks like every girl from Jersey, honestly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That is, aren't most of those Jersey girls Italian? Yeah. That, that girl doesn't look Italian. Oh, a little bit. Not all skin enough. But, huh? you know, a lot of people from Jersey are all over the place. You know, it's just... Uh, yeah. That's just Kirk nuts. with a wig. The one I'm struggling the most with here is Josephine Allen. <laughs> yeah, me too. It's like if I, if I take a quick glimpse, I'm like, I would date her. And then I look a little harder and I'm just like, but that's Josh Allen. No, I was For thinking sure? about why they fucked up so bad. What do you There's mean? There's no way. <laughs> that, that does not look like Josh Allen. Like, mm, I don't know. The, I see it. You see it? Yeah, I see it. Okay. The Kirk Cousins one is probably see, perfect. it's nice because I don't know any of these players. So right. Just, right. You're so, an objective. I can look at yeah. So, like, you just see a bunch of attractive women, except when you look at the Kirk Cousins one, where you're just like, <laughs> yo, somebody throw a wig on Kirk, a dude. Let, let me see again. Let me see. Kirk, which one is? Kristen Cousins. Cousin. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot to be desired. We, we finally found a situation where um, a Wilson is limited. Look at, <laughs> look at those lips on Gina Smith. I mean, that, that is pouty. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, I think... Um, People have so much time on their hands. Yeah. Fuck. yeah. You know, Justine Fields looks like she would 
go to college and do really well. All right, well, coming out of these graphics, going around the room, who do you got, Landy? Joe Burrow. Jill Burrow. Jill Burrow, for sure. All right. That's oh, right. Jill Burrow, for sure. That's right. Really? Not even close. All like, right. Like, Garoppolo's hot, but, like, night and day. We're talking, like, two or three full attractive points difference. This is that Pittsburgh home style. What do you mean? I'm, I grew up around Italian people. Garoppolo would fit the Pittsburgh motive. Or motif, I should say. No, not the, um, the MO of, like, the... I'm definitely a girl, to, girl next door type. Like yeah. I would take uh, Jill or wait, what was the other one? Uh, the Back Jets, to the the Jets quarterback. Oh, Zara, Zara. Yeah, I would take Zara over Garoppolo. Cue <laughs> the graphic. Okay. Garoppolo's for the streets, man. You can't hold her down. <laughs> Yo, listen, I don't know what I'm you're talking you. about. You ain't got to judge my Garoppolo like that. Garoppolo, I'm just saying. where you at? Jill Barrow all day. Wow. And we do have one last graphic. Oh, there's another one. Oh. Ooh. Oh, my. Oh no, I'm oh. running away from this whole screen. No. What? It, Lamara looks like my grandmother. T is cute. <laughs> yeah, T is cute. Uh, T is cute. Lamara, <laughs> <laughs> I just got what you said. <laughs> what the fuck? Yeah, Lamar, Lamar will tell you to go get a switch off the tree. <laughs> Got to whip that ass. Nah, nah, we can't do this. Dakota one. is also. She has her. She's cute. Marsha Mariota. Mariota is... That, that's a tragedy. Mariota looks like she is a part of the Hansel and Gretel story. <laughs> I thought Derricka Carr got a bad rap on this one. She's, I don't think it's that bad. 41 yeah. beers? Come on. She's definitely the best yeah, looking on this crazy. graphic. It's not 40. Wait, what? There has to be some sort of inside joke with the 41. Derricka Carr's is the best looking, you said? On this graphic? No, I'm just saying to say no that way. you need 41 beers. On this graphic, the one that we're looking at right now? Yeah. Who's better, Lamar Jackson? No, Tia. Yeah, Tia, for sure. Um, Softer features. I remember when you did this I'd, to my I'd, face. I'd go Derricka. Tia has like such pretty hair. Yeah, I like, insanely pretty. I saw the, the Trevor Lawrence hair. picture, and it's the exact same thing that happened to me. I love it. No comment. Yes, this picture is edited. Yeah. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's literally higher cheekbones, maybe a smidge. That's it. Yeah. We both just have the long hair, so we get. Uh... Uh, they didn't even bother to get his Adam's apple out of there. <laughs> <laughs> they just left I it. They did that to me too. It, it was the same. They used the same app. Well. That's what you get for having long hair. Well, I don't have it anymore. I have to re- you have to do it again. We'll have to do it again. Try again. You, we'll, we'll, I need to do the picture for the fucking intro too. We'll do it. We'll do it in the topic. Oh, that's another place you don't get a new picture. This dude, I can't have the same. <laughs> no, what you're he, right, what right. he doesn't understand is like everywhere that we replace his old stuff with, it's only going to be with the towel. Yeah, 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 exactly. It can't be the that's same the, one, man. It, it will always be the it same one. It can't be that one. It, You'll never get an updated you towel. How, you, you of all people, you know how memes work, man. Yeah. yeah. You don't get to generate. You Upgrade your meme. Yeah, you do. <laughs> no. Like the only thing I did today was tag Ryan Braun on Twitter and something. Look, Ryan, if <laughs> Ryan, bro, Ryan, if you're listening, and I, I know you are, like, do something else with your time. He's already put eleven fucking landed emotes in the chat just now. <laughs> yeah, I know you're listening. Like, do you have other things to do? Like, uh, um, imagine the that kid, uh, whatever, something from the dentist. The kid who got like all high at the dentist that was in the in the backseat of his car being filmed. Mm. And he was just like, ah, like just losing <laughs> Timmy. I think it was Timmy. <laughs> but imagine like he demanded to update his, his viral video <laughs> to when he's 18. Yeah. Like, sorry, Timmy, you're stuck with this. This is a life or 
You're just landing in the towel for life, man. Yeah. You should be proud of yourself. Yeah. It's, a good, it's a good progress pick. Stop. It's fun. <laughs> you turned yourself into a meme, man. That's an accomplishment. I didn't turn myself into anything. Well, the internet you does major turned thing. it into I, I, Look, I may have had some part to do with it, but like, <laughs> I can't take all, I cannot take all the There's credit. There's much here. worse memes to be. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, that picture is awesome, man. Yeah. It's fine. It's no, especially where you were just a year ago. Less That's kind of crazy. Ago. It was like, that was like six months ago. No, I mean that picture was six months, but a year before that six months. Right? Yeah, I know. We looked it's at the we why? looked at the throwback of me sitting in Joey's chair, where I looked like an eight year old. And you're just like you know a gordito, no, a little chunky. Formerly, yeah, a little chunky. Now <laughs> he's he's so happy he said formerly. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, don't you call me gordito now, right now? Now you're uh, you're beefcake now, Wayne. No, I'm not. I gotta get stronger. Mm. I have to gain like 20 pounds of muscle because I'm apparently too skinny now. Nobody here is. Well, that's because you're doing all those worthless fucking exercises. All right, yeah. all right. Let's not get on this. <laughs> no, this is. Landon, you're doing fine. Doing, Your exercises are great. You're Keep doing, doing those pelvic he, thrusts. He gets he gets he gets his spot rigid. blown up by by dudes who are fucking juiced out of their gills, <laughs> <laughs> saying, "Yo, you work out like a little bitch." <laughs> I'm trying, back. man. This is what God gave my me. My lower back is killing me right now, dude. I'm so. I keep squirming my chair. <laughs> Do you roll? Yeah, you. Of course, you roll. Yeah, I decided bad form. I told him this. It's not. It's not just that. I told him this today when he started going to Rob's a year ago. Uh, I forewarned him and said, like, the biggest reason why I'm encouraging you to come here is not because I think it's the fastest path to you getting strong or ripped or lose weight or anything on those lines it's because you've never worked out before and you need guidance and i don't trust anyone more than rob like mm. he does he does all the extra stuff necessary to ensure that you remain mobile and healthy and learn how to lift and keep your movement patterns in in coordination with uh you know optimal right and he's like okay man i'm in i'm, I'm totally in then he started losing weight and you know what immediately went by the wayside the fucking warm-up. Oh, no. I, I'm guilty of skimming through the warm-up quickly because I don't give myself enough time. Oh, yeah. You're terrible one. That. Yeah. So but I spend like eight minutes on the warm-up instead of 15. You do longer uh, workouts, though, too. Yes. Yeah. But I also, uh, I'm, I'm very mobile. And if ever there are problems, I will... The look. master of mobility, Matt Percy, Actually, everybody. It is very impressive how uh, flexible you are. Yeah, I'm when extremely. You, do, like, you can almost do the splits, which is crazy to me. I, I, I don't want to. I don't want to perform this, but I can. I can put my hand directly vertical above my head and kick it, and I can touch my nose to my knees like absolutely no problem. Yeah, you, you I, I'm, right. I'm quite mobile. Um, so like I blow through it, and I definitely set a poor example. He gets through the stretch in a quarter of the time that I do. Some days he like walks in and just grabs his fucking chart. There's some days. Like, of course you're hurt. When I was going, because I stopped going. But when I was going, I wasn't even done with the warm up, and you're you guys are already like lifting. Yeah. Hard lifting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you were very diligent to it, which I was too the first year I went, especially because I was going there via rehab. So like, I was coming off a, a torn ACL. I was like, you know, one month post op, and he's like, "Here's your workout," and the entire thing was just mobility. So like I wasn't even lifting weights yet. It's like, what the fuck, man? He's like, you're broken. I'm like, okay. So I, I really We're all broken, Matt. Yeah. Well, you can only, you can't mend a broken heart, but you know you can mend a broken knee. Um, <laughs> but I I was like, you know, first year I was like all in on it, and then we started to move a little bit of weight, 
And I'm just like, oh yeah, I, I like this so much more. Also, I remember now. <laughs> I mean, we do remember how long the first workout I ever did at Ralph's was. It was probably a record for the slowest workout ever completed. No, like, it was like no, three I hours. was the same way. Three, yeah, it was like three and a half hours. <laughs> I was the same. I remember uh, when I first started going there. Uh, it's funny because like when you first begin, he doesn't really challenge you with weight, right? No, you do single leg stuff and like. Yeah, it's a lot of unilateral movements and uh, a, a lot of pattern uh, correction, I which, guess. Which is still challenging. Like, I couldn't do, remember when I couldn't do. That's the shocking thing. Mm. Uh, my first workouts, I remember he would give us a 75 minute block to get them done. And that was with the full stretch and, the, and roll and whatnot. So, like, you know, I would spend a solid 15 to 20 on my stretch and roll and warm up, uh, going through all the dynamic stuff and, and things like that. And I'd leave myself like 50 to 60 minutes to, to work out. And he gives you those blocks where you're, you're supersetting three things. And I can remember doing like the most pussy shit where it's like, I'm doing like single leg hip hinge, no weight. And I'm doing like, which for the lay people out there, it's effectively a, uh, it's a basically a single leg deadlift. Um, but you know, you're doing a lot of balancing and whatnot. Uh, so I was doing like that superset with like, uh, like a core stabilization exercise where you're just like literally holding a weight out in front of you and doing rotational stuff and uh, then supersetting that with like push-ups. And that was it. And it would take me like 25 minutes to get through that block and I'm sucking air and I'm dying. Like I'm, I'm literally struggling to get through it all. And he's like, I'm like, how does anybody finish this in an hour? He goes, I have this program to be an hour max. Like there are people who can get through this in half the time. And it took me like a solid year of just reprogramming my body completely and getting healthy before finally I was getting to the point where it's like, oh, okay, this is a goddamn breeze. Now let's start moving some weight. Mm. But I needed like... I, I'm so happy I went through that to have that perspective because had I just skipped that and jumped to the weight... I would have never realized like how fucked my body was and like how awful I was in my movement patterns and all those other things. Cause like these little nuanced things that were challenging me were hard because I was unhealthy, you know? And it's like, it's very easy to just gloss over that and just be like, fuck man, load up the bar. Let's go. We're doing reps of two today. Like, and then feel accomplished. You know, one thing he did for me was um, made my body a lot more proportional. I didn't realize that it was, so important especially in like jujitsu when it's so body weight focused um like just my legs were so much bigger or my lower body was so much bigger than my my upper body once i was able to uh basically i guess like push and pull the same amount not the same amount but like a proportional amount, yeah um my jujitsu game just opened up immediately and now I'm just addicted. Now you can choke some bitches out. Now, like, my sub rate went up, I want to say, double-digit percentages. Super, super crazy. Yeah. You just, normally in five minutes, you don't get to sub people. You know, it's a lot of defending. People are able to maintain parity with you because it's so easy to defend in anything. It's so much easier to defend than it is to mount an attack. Attack. Tell that to fucking college football teams. There is no defense there That's whatsoever. <laughs> that is kind of true. Yeah. It went from defense wins championships to the sickest offense wins championships. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Wrapping us around to today's conversation. Score. He's a hurt boy. 
I, I'm going to stretch when I get home. I, stre- I, st- I do stretch. I just don't. I definitely cut down on the amount of stretching I was doing and lessons learned, you know? Some things, it's like when you're, sev- when you're six. A river. When you're six and you put your hand on a pan and your mom is like, don't put your hand in the pan. It's hot. And you're like, you know what? And then you. This is, this is a, a great conversation for what we're about to have because uh, you're pretty much everything that Ben CB warned us about. <laughs> See that that, if, that is a transition. Yeah. If, okay. If you uh, if you instead of being Mr. Hercules, who's trying to be all world everything, were just fucking locked in your goddamn room, running Sims and grinding the goddamn game, your back would be fine. It's your titties would be a little bigger. Dude, we I lived that lifestyle for three years. Go ahead. Speaking of the lifestyle, oh my god, Ben CB, you can't help yourself. <laughs> It's so, so brutal. So it's bad. so brutal. And, and I'm the well, only one that doesn't know. think it's that bad. You All he had to do was long. jump to the thread. You know like, exactly. I, I gave him a layup. About it. You motherfuckers know 100% I was going to do it after Andre said that. There was just no if, ands, but no. I, I, I was going to say shout out to fucking Ben C. I don't it, think, I don't think you, you thought of doing it. You nah, just did it. I did. I was First, I was going to say shout out, and I was trying to like how to like tie it in there, but I couldn't really do it, so I, I left that one alone. Anyway. Ben CB put up a thread. It says, the number one thing that helped me become successful in poker and building one of the most prominent poker schools in the world during my 20s, it trumps everything else. See below. Avoid nightclubs, very few vacations, cutting out toxic people, working, studying on weekends, doing the 99% of things, uh, 99% of the people, uh, oh doing God. the things 99% of the people are not willing to do. So this um, thread got a lot of um, a lot of pushback, a lot of shit. People are talking. What do you guys think about this? Bullshit. It's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. The number one thing that helped him in his career is being goddamn German. <laughs> German run good. The fuck are we talking about here? Like you were German, surrounded by the best Germans in the world. Like let's not forget the the crew he came up with. Who is that? It was the Fedor crowd. Reiner was in there. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, Reiner was like a later edition, but yeah, slightly uh, after. But. Yeah, it's like uh, we can we can pluck one of ten people that were a part of his collective, and they're all equally as successful as Ben. Mm-hmm. And I promise you, they weren't all equally as diligent as Ben is implying. Okay, Landon, what do you think about it? Well, I mean, let's I guess first not take away credit from Ben for being as talented and successful as he is in poker because he's clearly one of the best in the world and super super sharp. Um, I've lived the lifestyle that he's talking about for a long time, being two and a half to three years prior to moving out to Vegas, okay. where I spent all of my time grinding from online cash, like small stakes cash, be it starting. I was backed for 10 cent, 20 cent when I first started, uh, all the way up until two, five, and then was shot taking five, 10. And in that time, I had nothing else going on in my life. I only played poker. I didn't have a friend group. I didn't have an environment. I didn't go to the gym. I didn't exercise. I didn't eat correctly. I didn't go to clubs. I didn't go. I didn't drink. I didn't do all of these. All these things you didn't do. What did you do? I did nothing but play online poker. Yeah. Okay. I did nothing but sleep, be sad and play online poker and talk to the people that were coaching me at the time, like in intermittent, whoever it was. And just focused on the game. And then once I got introduced to Pio through Jeremiah, 
I ran, I asked a bunch of questions, ran a lot of sims. So I either got an answer from Jeremiah, uh, relatively saying what the sim would say, or I'd run my own sim and then get an answer from that. And from there, I got pretty good. Uh, I have graphs and results of hundreds of thousands of hands uh, winning throughout uh, micros to call it mid-stakes, if you will. And then last year was my first year uh, of recorded net 100K plus from online cash, where I was playing everything from 2.5 to 10.20 to 5K heads up and all the stuff prior to the, uh, to the Perkins challenge that was going on. And I can at least personally attest that to me, back then, nothing else mattered except for poker. So it was very easy to live that lifestyle. I didn't know what I was missing out on. Like I didn't have the friend group when I was in middle high school that I was, felt like I was, could have been missing when I was in college. And when I got depressed and dropped out of college, I lost the friend group that I had playing basketball at the gym. And I really enjoyed that friend group. But at the same time, they weren't my age. They were older uh, at, Florida, at j certain colleges. You can pay a monthly membership to go and play ball. Mm -hmm. So all the people there already graduated and I didn't have many people uh, in my life that I had friends. The first friends I actually did have from college was through poker. When my friend from the, the gym said, hey, do you know how to play poker? Yeah. We played a $20 sit and go. And then from there, I started playing like small stakes cash games with other people in my dorm. And that's when I found my love for poker and I threw away everything else. And I personally thought that that time was necessary for me, but I didn't know what I was missing out on prior. Whereas other people have the perspective of having friends. Do you think you'd have gotten as good as you are without that sole focus? I didn't know what else to spend my time on. And that was kind of a benefit to me because I didn't have anything else in my life that I prioritized. But looking back right now, do you think that there's anything like, do you think that you could get as good as you are by not doing that? So I of course did not spend my entire twenties, but I do think I would not be here in Vegas in this situation if I didn't only have poker. I think that's a fair statement. Were yeah. you happy at that time? Of course not. I was miserable. <laughs> like I'll, I, w I could say like I was enjoying my time, but at the same time, looking at it as my life now with the things that I have that are around me, versus the things that I didn't have. I saw poker as very clearly an escape and a way to be able to make something of myself from a career standpoint. Sorry, go on. Yeah, like I saw poker as my job and I didn't want to work or do anything else. So by default, that was the only thing that I had from a plan A, plan B perspective. There wasn't a plan B. The plan A was make poker work because you dropped out of school and you told your mom you're going to figure it out. So figure it out. Okay. And that's what worked for me. And like, I don't think I want to say this. Basically, do you think that like, this could have still been done like if you didn't spend 24 hours a day playing? Like, do you think like it would be two more years or something like that till you got to this point? I think that the timeline would be different. At the same token, I think would really sped up my uh, growth in the game was being willing to take and get coaching and give away profit for learning 
because through that, I didn't just have myself and I had people whose opinion that I trusted based off of results from winning at higher stakes and using that knowledge and paying through my profit as well as the volume I put in to be able to fast track it. You're kind of, you're kind of reframing or changing the, the you're, you're answering a different question. Okay. Uh, let me reframe Conrad's question. Okay. Do you think that it's possible to attain the same level of success without the sole focus? In the same amount of time? For, sure. In the same amount of time, I would say that it's not possible, but it's still possible. Give it a couple years or give it the environment that you put yourself in, I suppose. All right. Let me, let me take over for a sec or actually Conrad take over for a sec while, while we switch this out. Uh, so like I was thinking in my head, like you were very, you came from like a very shelled, you had yourself shelled off. You played a lot of poker and that's all you did, right? Yeah. Okay. What's taken you out of that in the last few years is your support group. Yeah. And that's like not something everybody's ever going to have, like a support group that you have. You, your support group is pretty sick. Yeah. So like I, I think that I don't like this, the thread, honestly. That's, that's what I'm coming around to, like in my own thoughts. Because like he's basically saying that you like single yourself off, play poker, you do nothing but learn. And then you get to like just snap out and learn and be in life. Like, All right, I, I was gonna I was gonna hesitate on this because I wanted to I wanted to drill into Landon's story a little bit more, but I think we can circle back to it. Uh, my issue with the thread is that it's pure survivorship bias. So I can also relate to this thread in the sense that uh, it, it's very funny to me whenever um, situations present themselves where uh, my personality takes a direct split based off of what's being said. So what I mean by that is uh, on one hand, I'm the type of person who very diligently and uh, wholeheartedly believes in work-life balance, right? I, I truly am invested in uh, balancing priorities as best you can and trying to evolve as a complete human rather than uh, somebody who's specialized in one particular thing. Right, you're stunted everywhere else. Right, on the other hand, uh, I'm a, I, I'm the type of person who wants to be excellent at whatever it is that I'm putting my time into. And I very much wholeheartedly believe in the driven mindset that sacrifices, that shows diligence, that is disciplined. Like I believe in, you know, putting in the work yeah, in order results. to see the results. I don't believe that like things just fall into your lap. So this thread kind of, touches upon two aspects of my personality that are in conflict, right? Yeah. And I think a big part of uh, growing into adulthood is trying to find a way to balance these two uh, objecting point of views or um, conflicting point of views, right? Speaking specifically to this, this mindset of willing it to work and uh, sacrificing a lot of other things that people your age are focused on in order to attain a goal. The reason I say that this is purely survivorship bias is because I've done this. It's something that I didn't have the natural skill set for, which was baseball, right? I was capped. I had a clear cap in baseball physically. There was no way I was ever going to be 6'3". There was no way I was ever going to add 10 miles an hour to my fastball. There was no way that I was ever going to shave a second off my 60-yard dash time. There was no way that I was ever going to start to hit the ball longer, harder, farther 
than my counterparts. Like I was just never going to make it as a professional baseball player, no matter what. That didn't stop me from sacrificing school, sacrificing friends, sacrificing dating, and spending 10 hours a day in the gym. I stopped going to classes after my freshman year. I made it work. I still graduated, but I graduated with a 3.0 instead of a 3.8 or a 3.7 or whatever, right? I graduated in a way that my degree was going to be useless to me. I'm not good at computer science. I didn't learn that much. Yeah. I was a below average programmer because I didn't go to fucking class, right? I put everything aside. I didn't date in college at all. I didn't date in high school at all. I was solely focused on the dream of becoming a professional baseball player. I believed that I could work my way into this position mm -hmm. that only 0.1% of people in the world ever even get a taste of. And then of that 0.1%, like 10% of them actually make it to a level that is sustainable in their life, mm -hmm. right? Poker isn't that much different. We, we, like to, we like to be reductive and pretend like anybody can do it because it is the everyman's game, right? It doesn't take uh, extreme intelligence or uh, years of study to sit down at a table and play the game. But it does take those things to be the 1% that makes all the fucking money. Right. Ben is a reflection of that 1%. He has an innate ability to amplify these skills through a singular focus. But the point that I'm making is whether he sacrificed his 20s to solely study poker and focus on money and getting rich and being very good at this game, or he fucked off and only put half focus into this, one way or the other, he was going to be great at poker. He was going to be that 1% regardless. Yes. Yeah. And that's the parallel that you're trying to show to me right. here, is that He may not have made money. He may have made significantly less money mm -hmm. had he not had this singular focus. But he right. was always going to But be he was there. always going to be good at poker. Yeah. That it's, could never be taken away from him. Yeah, that's true. Like, as much as we want to say that poker is uh, not just like a mental thing, you have to have a mental acuity. You have to have a predisposition yeah. to be the 1%. Like mental yeah. acuity, uh, risk... Uh, Tolerance. Yeah, yep. called like lack of risk aversion, right? Being able to implement in game. There's a lot of different like Thanks core skills, right? That are important to be able to become the 1% and yep. then stay at the 1%. Yeah. Because there's a lot of people that can win a tournament. That's what makes poker great. Someone with, call it average IQ, can still win a poker tournament that hasn't studied, hasn't ran Sims, hasn't looked at ICM pre and post, right? You could still win. But the barrier that you're going to stay at that level and play, call it 25K, 50K high rollers and start becoming a winning poker player over a long period of time and have that staying power is so fucking low. That's yeah. why there's so few people in poker that have been here for over a decade. People just either make a bunch of money and realize they want to do something else or they drop off off the wayside. That's, that's why it's such survivorship bias and and why it's easy for us to uh, both pick these types of threads apart, but also amplify them in such a way where it's like, that's, that's definitely true. Because the fact of the matter is, the people who make up the collection of the top of this industry, all are gonna share a lot of common traits. They're all going to be on average, pretty high intellect. They're all gonna be on average, pretty competent at logical problem solving. They're gonna be very rational. They're going to be able to uh, be quick on their feet and have high skills in deductive reasoning, right? We're just going to see these traits across the board, sure. generally, right? There, there will be exceptions to the rule, of course, 
but like the general rule will be that the collection of people who make up the the top tier of this industry will share these traits in common right so the fact of the matter is the community itself will draw in that type of person so maybe 30 percent of the community is made up of that type of person of that 30 percent only a small fraction ever rise to the elite level and that inherently is survivorship bias across the board oftentimes there will be very little that separates the person who made it from the person who's humping 510 for the rest of their life and you could buy into the narrative narrative that it was just drive it was a decision it was a conscious choice to be the one percent as opposed to accepting the average are. right accepting the average and just staying at 510 that's that's the the fairy tale that we love to assign a lot of credence to is oh, that those of us who made it put in the fucking work and those who didn't did not but that's just not truth there are plenty of fucking guys who did not date did not go to clubs never left the basement through, through their 20s that are fucking working fast food places now and it's not because they weren't good at the game yeah it's because they weren't chosen Right? Well, also, at least the opposite. At the start, right? There's a lot of very successful people that didn't go through all that very hard study. Sure, they might have studied hard in their life, but there are a ton of very successful people that have done all the degenerate things and continue to do so and are still successful. And you can look at this, it's a lot more one-to-one, -one, I think, in, in the fighting sports. People like John Jones, one of the greatest fighters, if not the greatest fighter in the world right now. And he was known for just going on coke benders right before fights. <laughs> he was known yeah. for, you know, doing all sorts of scandalous shit. He has 10 million baby mamas, all that stuff. Hit and run fucking coke in the car. Yeah, a bunch DUIs. Of shit. Correct. Right. It's really bad. Yet he's one of the best in the world. And then you have other people that are super disciplined. I think Demetrius Johnson would go two, three times a day. Again, one of the best in the world. And... You know, he's like a textbook type of winner. And yeah, he's one too. So I think uh, it's just like whatever is most life sustainable for you, where you can have poker in your life for a lot or whatever thing you're trying to get good at and the continued predisposition of being one of those, those, those high performers. Yeah, I think poker is really weird for this because like, one card just changes everything. It can change the direction. Like, you can just literally be part of just, like, the run bad. Like, Well, I will say that's where I think, there is, I think there is credibility to his threat in that regard. Uh, resiliency is a massive quality of those who make it. Uh-huh, yeah. Right? For, so one card sure. is very unlikely to determine the, the final path of Jason Kuhn. Y yes, that is true. But, like, do you think there is a Jason Kuhn that didn't make it? That means that he was he missing was, a, a trait being the correct. mental uh, fortitude to continue playing poker. Right. Like, if, if, you're, if there are two guys with the exact same attributes mm -hmm. and the exact same path dealt to them, one's Jason Kuhn and one's Jason Kuhn adjacent. Yeah. And the only difference between <laughs> them is that Jason Kuhn stuck it out. Then that is credit, credit to him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right? Yeah. Like, there are some intangibles that allow you to continually level up i don't want to make it sound like we have no control over the outcomes because that's bullshit too yeah right people who just like fully buy into survivorship bias and pretend like we have absolutely no control or impact over our own uh futures and paths is 
completely bullshit. It's not deterministic by any stretch. Right. Right. Like you're just shirking responsibility. Yeah. You still have to execute. You still have to put in the work. Like nobody's saying that what Ben is saying is not true in the sense that the work needs to be put in. It's just saying that you can do other things while you work. The work needs to be put in everywhere. It needs to be put into your relationship. It needs to be put into your physicality. Mm -hmm. Like, and that's the other thing is like, it's a little disingenuous because it's, it's bullshit. I know Ben to be a very regimented human being who like is disciplined and hitting the gym and grinding his ass off in all of these other attributes of life. Okay. So maybe what he's saying is you can skirt relationships early in your life in order to gain success in your career path. And that's fine. Like that's one perspective. But you're also skirting like the, um, fuck. Like, respect for yourself to, like, just be able to communicate with people over life. Well, it depends on, it depends on it what depends you, what you value. Relationships, right? Because I didn't skirt relationships. I have relationships within poker that I had when I first started, right? When it comes to having someone that gave me coaching. Not really. No, yeah, no, I don't. In what <clears> regard? <throat> well, like, I was backed by Jeremiah, Steven, Detox. Exactly. All of your relationships were financially motivated. Right. I was stunted from a friend and, like, uh, dating perspective still that's what I'm saying. still at yeah that's that's exactly what I'm saying like it's like that's a part of life that's huge a great question for him would be can you be successful in poker and have a wife or a husband whatever or a significant other yeah while you're learning the game yeah and I would say yes absolutely yeah. you can they can yeah be- I would I would agree with him though that your ceiling becomes a little bit more capped it can be well we're specifically talking about during the learning phase not ever Sure. Right? Like, there's a big difference between me being 23 and getting married versus me getting married now. Getting married now isn't going to stunt my career. Getting married at 23 almost certainly would. And it's not because of the effort and energy that I would need to put into that relationship. It's because of all the additional responsibilities that come along with it. We could could, uh, superimpose starting a business with getting married also. If I were trying to become a professional poker player and run a startup at 23... I'm drawing dead, but I can very competently do that in my mid thirties, 10 years after the fact. I think we're, we're taking getting married though. As in like, I don't think that's what he's saying though. He's just saying like relationships in general, like going out, like, having- no, I understand. I, I'm targeting particularly the nuance that he said, I don't have a problem necessarily of this is a path that works very well because mm-hmm. I do agree to that. Of course. A, a it lot, works. But- it works for the 1%. No, 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 no. It can work for everybody. The top pers- top, yeah, yeah. It can work for a lot of people. You think that, okay. So but, you, oh, yeah, hold on, hold on. I, the, the thing I take issue is, is when he says, this is what trumps everything else, right? At the end of his, his, the top tweet, he just like, okay, this is the best way to do it. And it's just, to me, empirically wrong. I think that you give somebody with a top 10%, uh, like IQ or whatever, when it comes to, this sort of thing to get to the 1% and you have them be regimented. They follow this path. Some people just still will not make it. Well, I I don't think that's fair. I think, I think the problem with that is we're using two different metrics to judge, right? So, um, if we're, if we're judging success by being elite in the industry, then of course, everybody is not starting off of level, level ground. Right. And everybody doesn't have the same likelihood of making it regardless of how hard they work. Mm-hmm. But if instead we're judging it by reaching each, each individual ceiling, like can get to two, five, can get to five, whatever, five. whatever your, your max capability is like, oh, I sure. am very confident that his way works probably more so like the, the, the lower your competency 
or or lo the lower your overall ceiling, the more important his methodology is. I agree. In my opinion. Okay, I see what you're saying. You're saying that like if your ceiling, like if I didn't work as hard as I did, I would have never played college ball. Mm. That was my ceiling. Right, your ceiling was college ball. Correct. Right, but and I don't get there if I don't spend every waking hour. You get obsessing. to high school max. Correct. And like even that might be a stretch. If you, it depends on how much you do. I just fail sooner. Yeah. Right. That may. I think that's fair. Yeah. I think that's fair. And then the survivorship part of becoming elite is just part of inherent innate talent and certain qualities that make you get to that point. Call it the drive. Right. Because the, the thing, the thing about this, tolerance. the thing about this approach that Ben has is it doesn't amplify talent. It amplifies work. It amplifies hard work. Right. It, 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 it removes it, talent. It's a meritocracy. So it removes the talent aspect of it. And it says, look, we are just going to drill the fundamental things that are necessary to making it. And once you have those embedded inside of you, then whatever intangibles you have curated will take you to your ceiling, whatever that ceiling may be. But the problem with that is when somebody flames out at 2-5, because that's their, that's their max capacity, that's their ceiling, they feel like they just wasted their entire fucking 20s chasing something that was never available. Or that they took the wrong path. Yeah. Because, like they should have yeah, done it differently. Yeah, like ben, of course Ben CB acknowledges that talent exists, but the threat in itself doesn't acknowledge talent, Correct. and that's the issue. Mm -hmm. Correct. Because I'm sure if we asked him, he said, "Hey, how much do you think talent plays into making it to high stakes?" He'd say talent is super important, but within the confines of the thread, that's not there at all. Saying some people are more talented than others, and they can still make it. Yeah, I think sense of community is also one of the most important things uh, to get rid of, like not get rid of, but reduce burnout. Just make sure that you have people that you can rely on. You know, things get dark, especially in poker. Leaning on that is so, so important. And I would probably say, I don't know for sure, but it's probably one of the top two or three things that you need in particular for poker, but all of competition. I don't know yeah. whether it's esports, uh, StarCraft in particular, or uh, honestly, any of the games, or whether it's uh, fighting or poker. I don't know singular people that don't have like this core group of super elite talented people and i always hear in interviews them saying like oh look out for this person in their group because they're going to be a world beater they're going to be a, like a world champion the problem the problem with the singular focus is that's almost impossible to curate in a healthy way yeah if your sole motivation is self okay. right so Completely. if you're if you're shirking all of the social gatherings and uh you are constantly in quote-unquote self-sacrifice mode where you have to explain away to your community or your peer group or whatever the case may be of why you can't spend a single second with them outside of working uh it's you're you're gonna fall out of favor very quickly or you're just going to curate a very toxic community right and we see this happening all the time where people's only sense of community is a discord channel and that Discord channel is just filled with a bunch of singularly focused people who are projecting them, themselves and their own insecurities and their own failures in other aspects of life out onto the group because it's an outlet for them, right? Which they've allowed themselves no other outlet for. They are singularly focused on getting better at this aspect of the game. and this. So now everything that they're focusing on getting better at, they put into the community... Uh, threads or or into the community conversation and say like this is what I'm focused on today you guys all suck at this like you should be caring about the same things that I'm caring about yada 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 and uh, there's no good open lines of communication 
because wow, that was a really strong pull up that fast. <laughs> you you had that locked and loaded. I'm impressed. Um, yeah, I mean, th I there, there's really. no open lines of communication, right? Because you don't learn how to communicate well with people because you're you're so uh, introverted. Yeah, you know? I mean, I can completely relate to this because I know for sure when I first started um, with getting into poker and seeing myself and the lens of what I cared about only being poker and not having the support group of anything else. I saw so many relationships in the way of how good are they at poker? How beneficial is this mutually for me to get better, for me to be able to help and get, have someone else get better? And I never saw other qualities in things that I cared about or other people besides just how can they help me with poker? And it stunted me drastically. And coming here to Vegas and having a support group and realizing that the work-life balance exists in a way that you can do everything at once once you have that learning curve phase, like, down, is so, like, important to longevity. Like, yeah. I feel now, after coming back uh, from London and having more of a intense behind my decisions, I feel so much more fulfilled every day, like with the actions that I take, the relationships that I have and the intentions and things that I do. Whereas before I was always thinking along the lines of how do I become the best poker player I can be and forego everything else in my life. Mm -hmm. And it was, a, it was a scary place to be in. Like I was not in the best place mentally. I wasn't in the best place like physically at all. I put everything on the back burner and I'm fortunate to have made it out of that situation. Yeah, so I, I wanna bring this back full circle then to to your perspective and your journey, because I think that some of it is relatable um, with regard to, especially because like it happened so fast. Like Ben's basically saying like spend a decade doing this and you spent like 18 months doing this. Yeah. Uh, so two questions that I, I think are most important. Number one, uh, is it worth it? to sacrifice all these other aspects of life in order to become great at one thing. And then the follow-up to that question is, uh, do you believe that there is a more efficient path that can yield comparable results? So I guess we should start with the first one because I'm going to need to be asked again what, what the second one was when it comes to like sure. path efficiency. But when it comes to the, is it worth it? For me, I've always had this intrinsic self-belief that my ceiling was extremely high. I always knew that when I first started playing poker, that I was going to make poker work. I always had that, whether it was true or not true. But I imagine like everybody starting is coming from that vantage point. Right. right? And my opinion is going to be, uh, it's, it's almost like a survivorship bias, right? Because. I'm fortunate enough to be in that 1% that have these things going for me that allow me to now get to this point. Yeah, but like the thing with survivorship bias is you can recognize that it exists and examine uh, how much control you had throughout by comparison. Right. The right? control that I had was I had no regard or care for anything else. And I got pulled out of that by moving to Vegas, by meeting Chewy, by meeting Nick, and by meeting you. Because if I didn't have that, who knows where I'd be? Like, would I be playing high stakes poker? Sure. Like, would I be playing online high stakes? Yeah. But what does my life look like? 
Right. That's why the different. question is like, would it be worth it? If my life doesn't look like this, you, things that are important are different to everyone else. Do you see yourself getting out of where you were without coming to Vegas ever? Getting out of where I were like, in, in the sense of social, like... In a social construct. Not even, just, not even just social, like financially too, you were playing small. Yeah. Like th that's, the, that's the big missing piece here is yeah. that when you were singularly focused, yes, your trajectory was, was fast and you were rising quickly, mm -hmm. but not comparatively speaking. Mm -hmm. Like you still were at a very low ceiling. Right, I see what you're saying. Um, I'm I'm not like of like the Machiavellian type of like ends justifying means, but I personally think that uh, it was worth it mm. for me. Yeah. I wouldn't advise anyone else to do it. I wouldn't advise anyone to say, "Hey, lock yourself in your room for three years. Uh, find someone that you can give your financial like have a financial relationship with someone where they're invested in your skill to get good." But it worked for me, and I have to accept that that's that to be the to be the case right it's hard to examine the yeah. other potential iterations. so now if you go to question two of do i think there's a more efficient path i don't know maybe not because i don't know well, what that looks well, like. well on some some level you have to believe that there is a more because, efficient because you're using it now yeah because you're using a different path now <laughs> and you're actually chasing scale i don't know if that path allows me to get as good as fast like, I become more of a well-rounded individual using the path I have now as if I did if I was 19. But who knows if I'm being able to beat 2KNL at the time or I'm still just being a winning player at 2-5. Yeah. So the I, difference would be where am I on... If you're talking about strictly poker skill, I think I would be worse, quote-unquote. I think when it comes to who I am as a person and where my life trajectory goes, I would be much happier taking the route that I'm on now. And that's why I'm choosing it. Yeah, I suppose the natural follow-up to that then is what's the rush? What's the rush to grow up? No, like what's the rush to sacrifice two Get to five good. years of your youth in order to acquire a skill set? I don't know if they're necessary. For me, the rush was to prove to myself and to my family that I could do it. Yeah. That was the rush for me. That doesn't mean it needs to be the motivating driving force for anybody else. And I can't speak to anyone else's like experience when it comes to that stuff yeah i mean look i get it like if if uh somebody had told me that at the end of it all i would be a professional baseball player if i just put in seven hard years of work i would put in seven hard years of work i wouldn't yeah. even ask a fucking question right yeah but if somebody also told me that uh anybody who becomes a professional baseball player was very probable to just become a professional baseball player regardless of the path then that seven years of hard work feels a little bit less important that's also just empirically not true though right outside of like fringe cases probably right. is from just a talent there are probably more talented people who didn't make it than not talented people who did right and also the in baseball survivorship bias of injuries yeah right there's just other things that well, can happen. variance variance will be sure a deciding factor do you think all. there's more variance in becoming a professional poker player or a baseball player Baseball, for sure. I think poker is more of a learned skill where mm -hmm. baseball is a physical attribute. Right. Yeah. Where you could just like snap something and you're fucked. You 
Correct. Yeah. You just be born a certain way and you're good. Poker, like one card cha- might change your tournament, but it won't change your life. If you yeah, but also it. just like at poker, you can compete at reasonably high levels without actually being elite. Where baseball, it's like mm-hmm. making it to independent ball and getting paid $100 a week to compete isn't really anything <laughs> to <laughs> write home about. You know? Right. Like you can play a like a WPT. Like a right. Like poker is a lot closer to chess. Right. Where it's just like the only people making money are Magnus. And maybe, you know, a handful of others at that sort of elite level. Yeah. Um, or sorry, I said, did I say poker's more like chess? Yeah. I meant baseball's more like chess. I said. Right? I so see. it's like literally like the only. The elite win all the money. Correct. Yeah. And it's like everybody below that who's not capable of getting to elite is just having fun. And in poker, that's not the case because you could still make a decent amount of money and have a living playing an average buy-in of 1k live right like the top one percent makes all of the wealth but the top like 25 percent is making money yeah you know and that's a huge discrepancy right most industries aren't well i shouldn't say that uh most competitive industries like when we're talking about sports games etc aren't that diverse right with who's actually able to live off of wages right because in poker you could have a ceiling that's live 510 and still make 200k a year well, if you're in the right game 100k a year but yeah 100k a year i was g- kind of giving the ceiling of the <laughs> <laughs> you're making 200k at 510 you're capable of bigger things in life yeah probably go on Carter. all right well kind of wrapping up the conversations like to me personally i was never one that um Put a lot of work into you know studying and stuff and i could see where it would help me out a lot but on the same um flip side of that i wouldn't be, i couldn't like imagine missing out on my life experiences like growing up like from the 18 to 24 like these are life experiences that i just couldn't imagine missing yeah i think you're i think you're an extreme case uh of the inverse of the thread mm-hmm. where you're an underachiever yeah because you don't work at all mm-hmm. or not enough anyway. Yeah. Right? Like that's that's the that's the constant to this that we all have to agree upon when we're having this conversation is that the work is necessary. Agreed. Right? It's just the framing around the work. How much of it needs to be front loaded into taking up all of your time versus being spread out to where it's just another priority that you're juggling amongst a myriad of priorities, mm-hmm. right? And like what you're portraying of life experience trumps all means that the work always takes a backseat and never gets done yeah, or, and or like doesn't I, get done often enough. And like I said, I don't think that's the, the best um, right. route to things, but I do say I, I couldn't imagine missing those life experiences. Like they created me to who I am today. Right. I, and I get that, but it's a weird juxtapositioning because you also have a great love for poker yeah. and you don't seem to desire to do any, want to do anything else. So there's this very clear barrier preventing you from investing in yourself in order to potentially have greater results. Yes, it definitely is. And I don't know what it is, but um, I try. Like now, like I've, over time, I've realized these things. I just put more work, I'm trying to put more work into it now. But um, yeah, I would definitely say that you have to find some balance at the younger age. But honestly, if poker was only studying to you and like if it was like 50 50 i think you would burn out from poker very very fast right i think in general the number one thing and this kind of goes with what berkey's saying where uh, let's just say for any person there's a fixed amount of time and you just have to put in the work to get to the elite or 
to reach your, competent level your ceiling, yeah, yeah. right? And the number one reason people don't fulfill the, those hours is because of burnout, because of they lose the love of the game. They lose the love of whatever competition that they're doing. And I think what you're saying is right. Like, um, what's the rush? Yeah. And sometimes people rush so much and go all in and want to see the results immediately. Well, I think there are two extreme personality types and then there's a spectrum, a gradient spectrum in between. Me and Landon are kind of like the two extremes. Well, I was going to say you and Ben. Okay, yeah. Uh, so like Ben being the, uh, the, the extreme personality type that believes in meritocracy, who diligently wants to put the work in to get the success out, right? And he believes that it's a one-to-one -one ratio. So the more he sacrifices and the more hard work he puts in, the greater his ceiling becomes. And I think he thinks that he constantly can push the ceiling higher and higher and higher through hard work as opposed to it being capped surely through hard work yeah and i think conrad is the exact inverse where uh he has a romantic love for the game and the freedom and the independence that it provides because he has such uh, a a high degree of um concern or priority towards uh life experience and family and friends and relationships and all these other things right they, they take such priority over all that he's just trying to find a way to facilitate that in life without having to sacrifice and work towards anything so i think i think both of them share the same frustrations where for ben variance is the great leveler and it's what makes poker a non-meritocracy and there's bitterness and uh, I don't want to speak for him. I don't know that he's bitter and jaded, but like speaking for myself, <laughs> there's bitterness and jadedness where you feel like you're putting in uh, more incremental work than you're getting out, right? Than, than you're getting returns on. And for Conrad, it's the exact opposite. Uh, there is frustration and resistance around the idea of work because variance exists. So it's like, why, why put in x amount of effort to get x divided by two amount of return when i could just put in zero effort and still see a return right because in in both in both instances ben sees it as i want to work really hard to mitigate the amount of all-ins i need to play and in the other one it's i know that i need to win all-ins anyways to win tournaments Correct. why try exactly and that, that's that's a good poker analogy that, that right yeah. and in my case for why i rushed so hard to make this work for me I knew when I left, I did not want to give myself an excuse to, as to why I could not do it. Mm. Like, oh, I went out and did this. I did X, Y, or Z. That if I did these things, they were actively against my poker goal yeah. of reaching my ceiling. So anything that I spent not doing poker was directly competing with my ceiling but the reality is that's not true and maybe even a hindrance because you can yeah. get to burnout. That, that's very much a control mindset. And then the opposing mindset to that is like a fear failure slash self-sabotage right. mindset. Some people don't hit their ceiling because they're I don't want to try, right? So this, this, was, this is very common amongst uh, smart people. Uh, it's something that like Elliot talks about almost always in session one with his with his uh, students or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's something that like I obviously related to and he's like, yeah, almost everybody I work with does this. But it's like when he'll, he'll just go like, when you were in high school, did you try hard on tests? And I was like, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I didn't try at all. And he's like, was it because you knew you would get an A? And I said, no, it's because I was accepting that no work and a B <laughs> was more efficient than hard work in an A. I was the same. I, like, I yeah. got my IB diploma, and I did not try at all. 
Yeah. So he's like, he's like, your ability to accept a lesser result due to not putting in work is not efficiency. It's, uh, it's a fear of putting in the work and still getting the B. Hmm. Right. I so didn't have a fear of putting in the work and not getting a B. I also don't think that I did, mm -hmm. but uh, I'm not a psychologist, so I'm not studied in that realm. And it seems to be a very consistent behavior amongst intelligent people. I just didn't want to study. I also didn't want to study, but his point was valid in the sense of uh, if you know you can put in no work and get a B, there is a bit of resistance then to putting in work and not being rewarded. And that's what I'm talking about from the Conrad perspective, okay. right? Where it's, uh, why put in all this work when there's variance anyway? Right. Why work when I'm just going to lose Queens versus Ace King yeah. for all of it? Yeah. So it's like, if, if I'm winning already at no work, and that could just be a byproduct of sheer variance and mm -hmm. luck, right? Yeah. Then why put in work when I'm going to be neutralized by this outside force anyway? Right. And how much of the work that I'm going to put in Am I going to see the result? And how much does it actually change my win rate? Right. Because if someone knew, okay, you can work 20 hours in poker. You can study all the theory you want. And it's going to increase your win rate by 1%. How many people actually put in those 20 hours? Smart people. Right. That's the thing. And that, that's, that's, the, that's why Ben's thread is meaningful. Because he sees it as the polar opposite. He sees it as any edge garnered is a, a compounding edge moving forward. And that's correct, right? Because the fact of the matter is that uh, even if Conrad's perspective of variance neutralizes my work is true, mm -hmm. it's only true to a certain degree. It cannot neutralize all of the work, right? Yeah. So if you are working hard and efficiently, no matter what, no matter how much negative variance you face, you will still come out on the other side slightly more profitable than if you hadn't done the work. Right. As right? long as... Even if that just means yeah. losing slightly less. Right. Yeah. And you also have to be able to withstand the losses and variance that come with it. Like bankroll management is just a skill that needs to exist Correct. in poker if you don't have access to outside funding. Right. Because otherwise... Even if you have access to outside funding. Right, you still have to manage it. Yeah. Right. And like, and I was just, if you have infinite money, yeah, right? Yeah. Then, Unlimited. But, Unlimited. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but in the sense of if you don't have that luxury and you have X working bankroll, now people that want to be in that 1% will do the things in their power that will make them give, that'll give them the best chance to get to that point. Yeah. Because otherwise, you're allowing variance to play more of an effect. Right. And it's funny because I'll talk to people that I see playing live MTTs and have X amount of bankroll, like first starting up and doing new things. And I'd say, have you looked at a variance calculator? They say, yes. I go, okay, what do you think your ROI is? And he's like, well, now I'm shot taking in these spots with less of a bankroll than I should. And I'm like, honestly, at this stage of the game, it's fine to take more risks for the higher upside than it is when you have something that you can actually lose. If you have the ability to get funding or sell action in a way that makes sense. Now you're giving yourself a chance to succeed through taking more risk on purpose. Like there's a difference yeah, between risking that, that, more so that's true, and intentional but risk. Right? Yes, that's, that's very true, obviously. But um, I think what gets overlooked largely whenever you are in a risky field is that negative variance compounds faster than positive variance. Go on. Well, negative variance takes you to risk of ruin. Positive variance takes you away from risk of ruin. Right. Right. 
but uh, the closer you get to risk of ruin, the less likely you are to experience the positive variance. So negative variance is basically like a multiplier of variance on your, on your career trajectory. Right. Like More so than positive variance ever could be. Positive variance is a neutralizer where negative variance is, is uh, an amplifier. That's why MTTs are like down, 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 down. And you have to be able to hit the up Correct. at some point. Because if you don't, you have nothing. Right. You have to make it to the upswing. Right. And that's hard to do with limited funding. Right. Right. And then oftentimes, like what happens is because of limited funding, when you do reach your uh, sun run, so to speak, you might be playing a third of the stakes. Right. So you're recouping less money. Yeah. And variance doesn't pick. Doesn't care. It doesn't give a fuck, right? You get a, you get a high distribution of aces and kings throughout an event. It doesn't care if it's a 1K or a 25K. Right. And if it happens to be a 1K when your average buy-in is 10K. Unlucky. You, you didn't make <laughs> back those losses. Right. It's, it's really wild because we obviously know people that have not played that many MTTs, but have just sun ran for their first thousand of them alive and online like i know people that haven't played that many and have just had seven figure scores mm -hmm. and then there's other people that have played for years like decades and never have a never have a six figure score yeah wow the variance in poker it's but that's like the thing right saying it's just the variance in poker makes it seem like there's less control than there actually is right that this is an area where i think that we actually garner a lot more control than we realize yeah because we can create strategies that neutralize both positive and negative variants that allow you to show up more it allows you to show up more it allows you to be diligent to the average buy-ins uh it allows you to be agnostic to the results right mm -hmm. so um you know whether that's having uh more of yourself in the smaller buy-ins and less of yourself in the bigger buy-ins or uh game selecting harder there are just like a lot of things that are well within our control the problem is is that we don't take it from a uh, zoomed out perspective when we're building these strategies. We, we look at it very granularly, right? So we can say in a broad sense, I'm going to play an average buy-in of 3K, right? And that's easy to say whenever you start the year with a quarter million dollars and you say my average buy-in is going to be 3K. But you haven't built in the adjustment now for six months in when your bankroll is decimated and right. you have 125k you're no longer playing and you're no longer playing a 3k average buy-in and now you're now you're coming up on your positive or maybe maybe you're like you're about to go through a, a, an upshot mm -hmm. yeah. of positive variance right so the thing is is that if we just that's the big problem like when we when we make the decision on day one with bankroll x that our average buy-in is going to be y it should be taking into consideration all of the potential up and down swings that can occur. Right. It's not about how much money you have right now. It's about what can happen throughout the year. Correct. That can influence your overall win rate while taking more into effect negative variance than positive. Because on, on the average, right, just how MTTs work, you're going to lose until you right. win. Right. And that's why I say we're too granular with it because what ends up happening is we just reevaluate on a week by week, month by month, series by series type basis right. so what ends up happening is like okay so we start with an average buying of 3k in january and we have call it 250,000. now all of a sudden it's may and we're coming into the world series and we just happen to be coming off of a bit of an upswing right. now all of a sudden we have 400,000. so now we're taking 90 percent of our package instead of half which would have been prudent and we're also playing 25ks now yeah we're five, <laughs> right our average buy-in now is maybe one and a half x right. like maybe now we're playing like a four forty five hundred dollar average buy-in 
we have way too much exposure right. and we have a bad series. Yeah. Yeah. And now we come out of the series with 180,000 instead of the 250 that we started the year with. And we don't have a plan for what happens moving forward. So now what happens is we, a 3K comes up and we go back to the mindset of like, well, I play a 3K average buy-in, mm-hmm. right? I'm, so I'm I take all of this. myself. Yeah. yeah. And then the next day, like the, the win championship comes up WPT championship at the win, 15 million guarantee, $10,000 buy-in comes up and we say like, well, this is way too big of an event. Happens twice a I don't year. Want, right, it's, it's a one-off. <laughs> yeah. It's a one-off scenario where first place is going to be uh, $4 million and you know this could be the windfall of a lifetime or of a career. I'm going to take all of myself, right? right? And now you play $30,000 worth of events there. Yeah. And that's fine. That is actually fine. But it's a compounding negative Correct. Yeah. It's now when PCA comes up a month later and it's a 15 million guarantee, 25K, mm-hmm. right? And then, you know, two months down the road, another event comes up on the schedule. And it's like, it's the compounding impact of constantly making granular decisions that affect the broad strategy that we never really nailed down to begin with. And additionally, sure. too, when it comes to ABIs, right? You say you're going to play an ABI of 3K. Not all 3Ks are created equal, right? Right. Not all 1Ks for yourself, if you're playing a 1K ABI, are created equal. If you're playing a 10K tournament selling 90, that's way different ROI that you're going to have playing like a, a Poker Go 10K versus a MSPT 1K, right? right? Now, it's more likely in the situation in the MSPT, your ROI is higher, that you're going to be able to allow yourself to... Uh, have that positive variance work well for you from a buy-in perspective where first is 200k where when you're playing the poker masters first is still 200k but you sold 90 percent, so you sure. don't get the same amount of positive variance that can occur to you through playing the same stake level in right. theory yeah for sure for sure if you haven't already go on over to wpt global for your chance to win your way into the win poker chip and we'll ask WPT World Poker Championship at the win this December. We're free after your first deposit at www.wptglobal.com. So um, wrapping up this conversation. What do you guys think we should do? What would you, what, so what's the advice you're going to give to the young man? I, I think I would just default to dankness to, to give the world the advice on NCB's thread. All right, well, you know, let's let's go to Dank this then. Let's see what he has to say. What's up, guys? Um, it's been a minute, but uh, a lot of poker advice flying around out there. So I thought I'd I'd get back in the streets and uh, just give you guys my two cents and uh, just don't don't do it. Don't play poker for a living um, it, unless you want to be 36 years old and in Delaware on a Wednesday night. I mean, it's just like, come on, bro. Like, don't, don't, I would highly recommend not going to any nightclubs in your young 20s or 30s. Uh, don't dance. You, you can dance when you ship the big 22. <laughs> you can go to nightclubs plenty in your 40s or 50s or even 60s. They have good old people nightclubs in Barcelona. Um, what, dude? Like, it's just, I mean, what what do you even say to that, bro? Don't go to nightclubs. How about you fucking wherever you are in Bulgaria or Malta, you you <laughs> you bend down and you just blow yourself. How about that? How about that for advice? 
You love that one, Burke. Not, not the ending I was expecting. Not you the ending I was expecting. One. It's a good plot twist. Man, that is so perfect. How are you just bend down and blow hey, can yourself? You, can you stop him from eating? There's, the, bro, there's nothing to bro, eat. Bro, he, he's just sniffing I, around. When he's hungry, I'm he not eats. coming in tomorrow. <laughs> he's, there's nothing to eat. Benji. The people can't see Benji. He's, he's too small. <laughs> eating well, made him deaf. <laughs> if you haven't already, please like, subscribe. Join our community here at Soft Hawaii. Just hit that join button. Give us some ideas. Give us some, um, give us some topics that we should talk about. If you like today's conversation, tell us, give us some more. What, what do you think we should um, no. go on about? <laughs> All right, fine. Don't give us any topics. That's the laziest shit ever, Conrad. Well, somebody's you choose give, it. Somebody's going to give us fucking topics. You hey, guys why don't you tweet at us exactly what you want us to say, guys? No, write it in the comments. You're already there. You don't have to go to Twitter. And on that note, we're out. <laughs> I hate you. Peace. <laughs>